Good morning, everybody. Um, It is good to be with you in in this way. Uh, You know, I know, as Bruce said earlier, our wish, our hope, our prayers that we were together in person. Um, But, uh, you know, I want to recognize that, uh, you know, this is this is the way God has given us. And and so we'll make do. It is far more nervous preaching in front of the Baird family than it is preaching in front of a congregation of 100 people, I do have to say. Um, yeah, it is, it is a little nerve-wracking. Brooklyn's a little intense, so. Um, <clears throat> this morning, yes, the, the title of my lesson is Tongue, uh, tongue Dish Served Three Ways, uh, because we're going to be talking about the tongue. We're going to be talking about our speech, our words, um, in, in particular, the power of our words, because we all know uh, this, is a very, uh, this is a very big topic, something that's going to be very difficult to address in just the hour and a half that Bruce gave me to preach this morning, um, because it's huge. We've all been in situations where, even under the best of circumstances, with the best of intentions, our words have been heard and been taken far differently than we intended. Meaning that we could go into a conversation thinking that this is going to be fantastic, and you can speak, and you can have an amazing conversation, and then hear about it uh, days later that uh, you said all of these horrible things. You know, I remember this one situation I was in where um, I, I, it was, I had to apologize to this person, and so uh, we had to schedule a meeting, and me and this other person, we sat down, and I remember so clearly uh, because I didn't feel the need to apologize. Um, but I didn't understand. I needed to. I need to say I'm sorry. And so uh, I remember this conversation. I sat down and I said, you know, thank you. Just I, I just uh, you know how amazing it is that you've met with me and and just how sorry I am and how I I did not you know I just didn't mean for it to come across this way. And it's not important that you know why I needed to apologize. It's just I did. And I remember quite. Uh, I just remember very clearly uh, at the end of this amazing apology, I I stopped and I said, but. But I was right, you know. I'm not, and even though I say I'm sorry, you know, I'm just, I'm not that sorry. I'm not the, those words coming out of my mouth and trying to stop them, but I couldn't. I couldn't stop those words. And so, but the conversation went well. They were smiling. We ended up hugging. We prayed afterwards. And then later that night, I realized I practically set that person on fire, um, and how horrible it was. And I learned a very important lesson. One, when you apologize, just apologize and then be quiet. Uh, the other is our words matter. Um, our intentions matter. These things do matter. And so as I was reading through James chapter 3, uh, something came up, uh, came to mind. Uh, when I teach this to the high schoolers, I kind of bring this up. Um, and it's, have you ever had cow tongue, beef tongue? Um, I don't know if you can serve tongue from other animals. Um, I imagine Justin knows that. I don't know if you can have chicken tongue or even if chickens have tongues. But uh, I wondered, have you ever had beef tongue before? Uh, because it is delicious. I think it was Jerry, uh, Jerry's uh, Facebook account. He had a picture of a gigantic cow tongue on his barbecue. And it was either on his barbecue or it was a picture of somebody else's that he posted. And it looked delicious. It did. Um, it, it reminds me of this, uh, this trip that we take. In Adventures in Missions, this this uh, this missions program that I was a part of uh, right after high school, um, the Adventures in Missions every every February they go to Mexico City. Um, it's a way to get out of Lubbock. It's a way to get out of the United States. It's a way to uh, basically teach uh, teach students how to accept different cultures, 
um, in a more practical sense by immersing them into a different culture. And so in Mexico City is beautiful and it's amazing and it smells wonderfully. There's street carts with street tacos everywhere. It is wonderful. Uh, the smells of chili and the smells of cheese and avocados and of people and cars. It's, it's everywhere. And so in Mexico City, uh, towards the end of our trip, we go to this huge bazaar. It's basically a marketplace that sells everything. It, it sells absolutely everything you could possibly want. Um, and so right next to this bazaar, right next to this street market, it's a little shop. It's a little taco shop. And we always take aimers there. As an aim assistant, we always took our aimers there. Uh, and there are many taco shops in Mexico City. What makes this one unique is that you can have any kind of taco you want. You can have chicken, beef, pork, placenta, intestine, brain, tongue, skin. You can have whatever kind of filling you want. I know, Dave, yes. And you may be thinking, yeah, this is rough, but remember, we were teaching culture. So I, I did have to have, you know, I had a I had a, a sampler platter, if you will, of the different kinds of tacos. And so, however, and by the way, tongue is the best one, but brain, it's kind of like mushrooms. Um, and so it requires a lot of salsa, a lot of chilies in order to make the, the brains taste well. Um, and so uh, I love this. I know you guys are getting grossed out. Good morning. I know you guys just had breakfast. Uh, but one of, uh, I just know, one of the situations I absolutely loved is every year uh, in every AIM class, there is at least one student, if not a couple of students, who hate trying new things. They only eat cheeseburgers with cheese, ketchup, no mustard, because that's weird, all right? And th that's all they eat. And, and they don't really like trying different kinds of food. Well, in the AIM program, that's kind of a necessity. It's a part of not only the cultural training, it's a part of what they're going to be experiencing on the field. Even if they go to the states, uh, even if you go to a stateside field, let alone if you go outside of the United States, you're going to have to try new things. And so there will always be one student where we take to this restaurant and we make them try at least one unique taco. Whether it be brains, placenta, intestines, or something else, they've got to try that one taco. And I love seeing their face when they eat something like that. It's beautiful, all right? They either love it or they hate it. See, our speech can have a similar effect on us, all right? It can have a similar impact on others. Our speech can be spicy, our speech can be smooth, it can be sweet, it can be uplifting, encouraging, or sometimes it, our speech can cause a visceral reaction, much like someone who thinks they're having chicken tacos, but in reality, they're having brain tacos. All right. It, sometimes our speech can cause this, this reaction, and not just us, but also in others. And this is what kind of makes James chapter 3 so fantastic, because this is a very practical lesson James is teaching the church. But it's also very elementary. Uh, there's nothing new that we're going to discover in, in, in this passage of James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12, because we've learned about this through school. So let's go ahead and read this. Um, and I'm, we're in James chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 1. I want you to listen to James instructing us. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, 
able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal or take ships as an example. Although they are, uh, did I say chips or chip, ships? Ships. I got, I'm talking about food now. Now I want chips. Take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds and reptiles and sea creatures, are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings, who, has been, who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. See, these first two, the, the, the analogy of, of our tongue both being a bridle in a horse's mouth and a rudder on a ship, these seem very practical, right? I mean, you, you kind of, at least I feel like I, if I were to write James, if I were to write on my tongue, that's, that's what I would say about it as well. They seem very elementary, very obvious. See, when I teach someone how to drive, uh, and I've taught many teenagers how to drive uh, through various youth groups, and the first thing I do, regardless of who they are or how old they are, is I start with the, the steering wheel. The steering wheel is one of the most important parts of the car. And I instruct them that the steering wheel is in your control. It's 100% it is in your control. See, where you turn the wheel, that's where the car goes. Right? So when you're going down the road, you are in control of what you see in front of you, where you go in front of you. Again, it's very, very elementary, but it's a good place to start. And then I direct their attention to the pedals, the two pedals usually, that are on the floor. One is brake, one is gas. And I tell the student that these two are also under your control. If you press the gas, the car will go forward. If you press the gas very hard, the car will go forward very fast. If you press it lightly, the car will inch forward. And the same with the brake. If you press the brake, the car will stop. If you press it harder, the car will stop faster. If you press it lightly, the car will start stop slowly. And all of these things are under your control. But we all know there are instances where you can press the brake and the car doesn't stop. That's actually one of my fears. All right, and other times where you can press the gas and you can accidentally press the gas or maybe there's something wrong with the car and you can press the gas just a little bit and the car shoots forward like a rocket. I remember this one student that I was teaching and I, again, I've used this method many times. It has worked, uh, it has proven to work. But there was one student who just made me nervous because they were nervous. And so as I tried to calm them down by giving them my, my speech on driving, on how this is in your control, and as I uh, stepped out of the seat of my car, because I was using my, my truck at the time, 
and let him step in and try for himself, I got in the passenger seat and I understood, probably for the first time, a different kind of faith, a different kind of hope. As he, with sweat beating down his face, grabbed my steering wheel. And I again thought, this kid's going to kill me, this kid's going to kill us. And I had to stop him and again calmed him down. I said, remember, what are you in control? I'm in control of the steering wheel. I can control where it goes. I can control the, the speed at which we go. I can control when we stop. And so he seemed to calm down and I thought, great, all right. He's finally ready to steer us. All right, he's finally ready to go. And again, I, you know, I'm putting my trust in God. I'm putting my trust in him. I'm putting my trust in my car that it doesn't explode spontaneously. And, and so as we start driving down the road, and we're going at a snail's pace, I start noticing the car and I'm telling him to stay, you know, stay within the lines. And, but I'm starting to know that my car is starting to guide a little bit more to the right. And there's a bunch of cars parked on the side. And so I, you know, but we're going super slow. And I look at him and I said, Eric, can you just please, please steer a little bit to the left? And he goes, okay. And the cars uh, and my truck starts steering a little bit more to the right. And so at this point, I'm thinking, all right. So I grab the steering wheel and I kind of push it over the left. I'm like, this is left. Go to the left. You know, you can, this is the left direction. He goes, okay, okay, okay. You know, he gets to the left and I start noticing that the car immediately starts turning to the right and we start going faster. And so at that point, I'm freaking out and I say, okay, let's, let's stop. Let's slow down a little bit. And I turn the steering wheel a little bit over to the left and it gets, we get back in the, the middle of the road and sure enough, he does it again. We almost got into a car accident actually, but there are times when we feel like we can have the best of intentions. We feel like we can say the right words, but something goes wrong. Yeah, I remember this one uh, communications professor, he talked about the different points of communication between just two people. He says that when you're speaking as I am to you, there is what you're saying, then there is what you're hearing. You, the audience, is what you're hearing. Then there is what you are understanding about what I'm saying. Then there is your cultural, gender. There are all these barriers, these baggages that we kind of bring to this communication and we filter my conversation with you through all of these things. And then once we filter through our conversation, once we filter through the words, we form a response. And then we say back our response. And then unfortunately, when I hear your response, the same process happens. I filter your words. I filter the things that you're saying. Even my, uh, uh, my perception of your intention through all of these filters. And then I respond. And this is a conversation that goes back and forth. And we can find ourselves in a conversation with somebody slowly being steered in a direction that we did not intend, even though we feel that we have the power to do this. If you notice the first two analogies, both the horse bridle and the ship's rudder, it's both about steering. One is about steering you in particular, right? Because there's only one person on a horse and I, I just find it very discomforting to be on a horse. I don't like being steered by something that has a mind of its own. The fact that it could just ride anywhere and kill me if it wanted to. All right, horses kind of scare me. Uh, the other is a ship. I'm, see, I'm far more comfortable with a ship because I have faith that a human being is steering the ship. But the ship, the person steering the ship is not only steering me, but it's also steering others. And again, this goes hand in hand with what the power of our speech can do. It can steer us and it can steer others. Uh, and with the best of intentions, guys, 
we can see the benefits that this brings, right? Have you ever been in a conversation with a kid and you've uplifted them and you've told them, well done, you are amazing. Last night we had a Lego challenge in our house and Thomas has, and I'm, I'm looking at you Thomas, he has the attention span of a mouse, all right? But his imagination is huge. Everything he sees is a gun or an animal or an animal with a gun or an animal that is a gun. And so, and he plays constantly. All right. It, I remember though, Natalie and I were talking to him and saying, Thomas, well done. You are doing great. And we're telling it to all of our kids, Abigail and Lydia, you are doing wonderful. And they are such wonderful, creative kids. And you can see the lights in their eyes brighten. And we've all felt that ourselves, right? When a teacher comes alongside us and says, Brooklyn, well done. You did great. Yes, I am going to call on people. All right. When we say, Hunter, what you did was amazing. Even if you felt like you didn't do amazing. All right. I, I remember this one. I'm going to throw them out. I'm going to throw them out in front. There was a performance, a concert where Hunter nailed it. He had to do an improv, an improv where he played. I'm going to say the trumpet. Is it the trumpet? Okay, good. I got that right. See, I knew it all the time. And he did amazing. And people flocking around him, telling him how good of a job he did. And seeing that happen everywhere with families swarming their children, telling them how well they did. And you guys know what that feels like, right? When someone comes alongside you and says, with their mouth, with a bright smile on their face, well done. What does that feel like? You could do anything. You could steer anywhere. You could, you could ride that horse through the forest without fear of being impaled by a tree branch. You can steer that ship through a storm. Now, you can do absolutely anything. But, and this is the uncomfortable part, we all know what it feels like to lose control. We've all lost control with our words. All of us. Uh, and it's something that we learn at a very early age. Just as we learned through preschool teachers and Daniel Tiger and, and Barney and whichever generation you grew up in of how powerful your words are and to use them correctly with the best of intentions, use good words, all of that, we all know what it feels like to lose control. And this is why I appreciate James bringing up the third, uh, the third way our tongue is served, and it's on fire. All right? We have seen this all happen when we or others lose control. See, when we lose control, everything that we can build or have built can be consumed. We've seen this in politicians. We've seen this in celebrities. We've seen this in ministers and managers and waitress, waiters and waitresses. We've seen this on every level of our society. People who lose control of their speech. And social media has only made it worse. It's not like this is something new. But social media has made it to where now we see this and people get 15 minutes of fame because a teacher loses their mind in front of a classroom. We don't ask ourselves, what did the students do to cause that reaction from that teacher? But we just focus on that person losing control and then what immediately follows seems to be almost a cliche at this point. They lose their job. They lose their friends. They lose everything. See, we've, we've seen this happen. That's why James connects the power of our speech with fire. See, I grew up in uh, Nevada City or Nevada County, California in Grass Valley. And as I grew up, uh, I grew up around this myth almost of this fire that happened in 1988. It was called the 49er Fire. At the time, it was the largest fire in California. And it consumed 33, almost 34,000 acres of land, uh, destroyed buildings. I don't know if it killed anybody, but I know it just destroyed so much property because it blew through Grass Valley. And so people 
people were super nervous, uh, super anxious around anybody starting fires in the backcountry or even in their house. Um, and, you know, as soon as it turns May or as soon as it turns June, there was no ban on it, but people would arrive at your house if they saw smoke because they just did not want another, uh, another, uh, another, uh, a repeat of this fire. So as I grew up, I thought, man, this thing had to have been started by a bonfire, an epic bonfire that just got out of control. No, it started because kids were trying to light a fire with toilet paper. And so they lit the fire with the toilet paper and then the wind took the toilet paper, lit, and if you've ever been in Northern California, if you've ever been up in the high Sierras, uh, there's not just dirt, there's about a foot and a half of pine needles uh, between you and the ground and it takes, it, it could take a hot breath in order to start that into a blaze. And that fire took off. When I was in Ventura, all right, when, when before I before I moved up here, we we saw the Thomas Fire firsthand. The Thomas Fire, which was again to that date the largest fire in California, now there has been more, was started because a car ran into a uh, a transformer pole, and as the transformer was arcing plasma, a forty mile an hour to fifty mile an hour gust of wind was taking that hot plasma, taking that fire and those sparks, and spreading it into the trees. And then within hours, it destroyed hundreds, if not thousands of acres in blue clear of the coast, destroyed homes. It takes nothing. It just takes nothing to start something like that, especially when, when we use the power of our words, the power of our speech with ill intention. Uh, when we start saying negative things, when we start accusing, when we start judging, when we start cursing one another, anybody, that it's something that slowly, or I'm sorry, it may start slowly, but then quickly becomes something that's outside of our control. When we say something to somebody else, like I hate you, or you're awful, or you're stupid, any of those things, with that bad intention, it becomes something of its own. Uh, it, 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 it consumes, it almost becomes alive. See, and I even love, I love how dramatic James is in this. And, and because James is being dramatic, he brings in the fires of hell, right? It starts with us, but then it quite quickly becomes, uh, it, it becomes fed by the fires of hell. And I want to focus on this word hell because that's a very important word. Because the people that James are talking to, this word that he's using actually means something. Ooh, what was that? Okay, it was, uh, once I mentioned hell, something drops. So, um, this word hell, uh, it's the word Gehenna, all right? The, the Gehenna is an actual place in Jerusalem, all right? So most of the times when you see Jesus talking about hell, if he's not using words like Hades or Tartarus, he's using the words Gehenna in order to describe hell. It's an actual valley right beside Jerusalem. And this valley began, or the, at least the, the reputation of this valley began uh, back in First and Second Kings. Back when there used to be this worship of this god came, uh, called Moloch, and Moloch required child sacrifices. In Israel, this is one of the worst points of Israel history. And so Israel was sacrificing children, and they would sacrifice those children in the Valley of Gehenna. And so as better kings came to power, those kings started to ban the worship of Moloch, started persecuting the, uh, the people that would worship Moloch. But however, they could not get rid of this valley. So quickly, this valley became despised. It became feared. This valley gained a reputation of its, no, of its own because people would dispose of garbage, refuse, bodies. 
they would discard everything in this valley. And in order to cleanse this valley, they would light fires and burn this valley. This valley was almost always on fire. This is the Valley of Gehenna, especially with a culture. Guys, remember, a culture that can't touch blood, can't be around dead bodies. Uh, this valley represented everything they did not want to be a part of. And what's amazing about this word and how uh, Jesus and how James uses the word Gehenna is because you can see the Valley of Gehenna from the Temple Mount. If you stood on the edge of Solomon's portico and looked down, you can actually see the Valley of Gehenna down below you. As you were up on the temple where God was, you can see this place. And so when James is using this word, he's not using it accidentally, and he's not being overdramatic. What he's trying to do is emphasize a point that I believe we learned as children, that's elementary, but as we grew older, something happened to us. It's not that we forgot that our words are important, but I believe what happened to us is when anyone grows up, when anyone, uh, well, let me start with a, as a child. As a child, your heart and your mind, your words and your actions were so closely connected you couldn't tell them apart. Meaning that when a kid, especially a toddler, is angry, their words are angry, right? Their face gets red and they start using words that they don't really understand to express their anger. They say, I hate you, you're the worst. And they don't, they don't understand what that means, but they're using them because that's what they do. They're angry. All right, when they're sad, they use sad words. They cry, and you can hear in their voice they're scared or they're sad. See, as children, we are so, so closely connected. These two things are so, so closely connected that it's one of the reasons why God and Jesus tells us that we need to be more like children because we need to be more transparent in this way. Uh, it's much harder. And even when a kid lies, you can tell when a toddler lies because it's difficult for them to separate their emotions and their words. They can say with a smile on their face, or they can say with complete guilt on their face, I did not touch the cookies. And you're sitting there as a parent, yeah, okay. Yeah, you touch the cookies. And they always wonder, are you a mind reader? No, no, we're just an adult. And we know because we did that too. Uh, we did that as well. So yes, we grow up, our mind, our heart, whatever you want to call these two, our words, our actions, our intention uh, from the words that we use, these things began to separate. Not only did they begin to separate, but they began to take lives of their own, meaning that our words can exist almost div completely divorced from our actions. We can say one thing, completely believe what we're saying, go home and live a completely different way. All right, this is called cognitive dissonance. This is called hypocrisy at its core. All right, we are saying what we don't believe, but as adults, we can do this. We can actually get away with this without being caught, meaning that we can tell people, man, I'm going to guide you to this one place while you're taking the wheel and steering them in a different direction. All right. And so this is what James is trying to scare us away from, or at least trying to encourage us to get back to that our words, the power of our words, the speech, our intentions, everything about us needs to come together so that we can steer ourselves and that we can steer others away from Gehenna. That even under the best situations, we understand that our words can take a life of their own. Yes, even the best ways, our words are still not perfect because we're not perfect, but at least we can do our best. We can at least follow this aspect of what Jesus is calling us to do, what James is calling us to do. Because if we don't, if we don't use our words with the best of intention, if we don't, if we are not in control, and if we say something ill-intentioned, a curse, or, <coughs> or whatever, and we put that out there, it is a spark. And right now, I feel like our culture, our society, we are a tinderbox. 
Um, our words take lives of their own. Uh, you know, me personally, I, I've had to step away completely from Facebook, completely from social. This is my own confession because um, this is, for me, the toughest subject in the Bible to control my tongue. When I came to Christ, uh, both as a kid and then later when I really came to Christ, when I was 18, uh, there was a story of, and I share. Um, I was with Chris Smith. He's the AIM coordinator. He's the guy in charge of AIM. And I had to borrow his truck. Um, and again, this is when I was 18, 19, and I was in AIM. I was in Ventures and Missions, right? This is where super Christians go to be super Christians. And uh, I remember borrowing his truck, and I had to take him home, drop him home to get the truck back to our apartment. And I remember that as I was pulling into his house, um, someone cut me off, or someone didn't stop. I think that was what it is. I tried to pull over, and someone didn't stop, and they ran through a red light or something along those lines. And I remember cursing. I just remember saying, just dropping it right there in front of the AIM coordinator. And I thought, as I, it, it got silent. You ever said something in front of your parents or said something you know you shouldn't have? And there's that silence of judgment and guilt that descends over you, right? Um, and unless this lesson is getting too real, but yeah, th that's what happened. Uh, I mean, you—it's—it's it's, you just start sweating. Everything becomes stiff as you're, ca you're carefully considering each turn. As I'm driving in, and I drop him off, and he looks at me. I'll never forget what he said. He said, "Controlling your tongue is the hardest thing you'll ever have to do." Uh, but this is a good place to start, and that changed my life. That honestly changed my life. But it's something. It's like being an alcoholic. It's like being a, an addict. It's something I have to constantly control. And if I know for me, and I, I know that this is most likely the same way for all of us, is when we lose control, we, we know what can happen. Um, and so we need to try even harder to be in control of the words that we say, that what we say is encouraging, that we say is uplifting, that we say not only what we mean, because we can be admonishing. Jesus is admonishing. We see that all throughout the Gospels of Jesus saying hard truths and even leveling curses on people, on Pharisees, on people who needed to hear that they, what they were doing was absolutely wrong. So I want us to, above all, uh, call for what James is calling for, which is wisdom, that we become the same person we say we are, that we don't uh, speak a different way at work than we do in church. Oh gosh, you know, that's a whole different lesson that we can say the same thing at school as we do in church, that we are the same person, that, um, and I always, and here's the, and finally, I'm gonna be done with this. There's a great test um, to do this, to make sure that, that this, you're doing this, is uh, mix two different friend groups, and you'll see if you, if how hypocritical you are. And I know that gives me anxiety, uh, or at least did give me anxiety, all my friends are in church anyway, but it's something, mix two different friend groups, and see, how they uh, perceive how you talk. Do you talk differently? Do you use different words? And that tells you, man, you need to start, you need to align those two things better. You need to be more truer to who you are, uh, to who God wants you to be. And so I want to thank, uh, I want to thank Bruce and Dave, both who have, who have basically set this up. Um, the work they have been doing behind the scenes has been, uh, has been incredible. And so, all right, I want to pray with you guys. Um, is that right? All right, I want to pray with you guys. Um, and then I'll hand it off to Bruce. God, we thank you. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for uh, this epistle, James. We thank you for its author and the heart that he has for us. God, we pray for our, our current climate, our culture, our society. We pray for our governors, our mayors, our president. Uh, we pray for our senators. God, we pray for our elders. 
we, we pray for uh, Brennan, Jerry, and Mike, um, God, and their wives, that Carol, Lene, and Joyce, Father, that they are, they are working, that they are praying for this congregation. Yeah, I thank you for Dave. I thank you for Dave and Bruce who have been working so hard at this. And I thank you for our families, our children, our youth. Uh, God, that they're growing, um, that are struggling. And through their struggle, they are growing. And Father, seeing their perseverance through this, uh, and I want to throw out our, our seniors, all six, seven, eight of them, however many we have. God, who are, who are living through this, knowing that they have to give up so much uh, experience. Uh, so many of the things that uh, they were looking forward to. And that God, that goes for all of us. Um, I, I know that our suffering does not compare to Israel's suffer when they were in the wilderness. But Father, uh, we are just as equally learning how to depend upon you. So Father, as we navigate this, uh, let us speak kindly to one another. Let us speak kindly to others, even especially the people we disagree with. Father, let us learn how to have your mind about us, that we are the same person both at church as we are at work or school or at home. Um, God, we just thank you. We pray this all in your son's most holy name. Amen. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Joe, for reminding us how uh, words are powerful. Uh, they come from the heart. And uh, may we have a heart like, like Christ and speak like Christ. So here is our website if you haven't uh, noticed. There is a there is a place on our website that you can you can go to and uh, use it as a as a as contribution and, and donate to uh, to Kings Orchard Church Christ. As a habit, we are we are people of habit, and oh, <laughs> somebody said you can eat deer tongues. Oh, Malia, thank you, Malia, for the information. You can eat deer tongue too. That's D E. E R, <laughs> not D E A R. Okay, so words—they're important, even letters to the words. So, um, anyway, we are creatures of habit, and I mentioned this earlier, uh, just because it's our habit to uh, to 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 do the contribution along with the Lord's Supper. So, I feel like I'm being redundant, but if you have an opportunity, obviously we still have. Uh, bills that need to be paid and, and things like that. Uh, I'm not a bill. My name is Bruce, but uh, I'd like to get paid too. So, um, anyway, God bless. Have a great week, and we'll see you here next week. Thanks. Bye-bye.